As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. Ask N.T. Wright Anything podcast. Welcome back to the show that brings you the thought and theology of N.T. Wright. I'm Justin Briley, and today's very much a bittersweet edition of the show. As you'll hear, it's my final time in the hot seat with Tom as I move on to Pastures New. And so I thought, after reading out hundreds of questions from listeners since we began this show in 2018... I'd ask Tom some of my burning questions on this edition. The good news is the show will continue. Make sure to keep subscribed for more episodes and at the website premierunbelievable.com. Do hope you enjoy today's conversation. Hello there. Welcome along. This is a rather special show today. It's the final show in which I will be in the hot seat as presenter of the Ask N.T. Write Anything show. It's been a privilege to host the show since it began, I think back in November 2018, but the times they are changing, as one of Tom's favourite singers says, uh, and I am moving on to Pastures New, some fresh projects and ministry beyond Premier, and so today is an opportunity for me to say a huge thank you to Tom for all the conversations that we've been able to share, as I've put hundreds of listener questions to him over the past few years, and on this occasion, I thought, well, why don't I ask some of my own questions (laughs) as I say goodbye to Tom? So, Tom, thank you so much for uh, all the conversations we've we've shared here on the show, your amazing ministry uh, that you've been sharing on the podcast, I, I feel slightly emotional as we as we come to this moment. Well, th- thank you very much for the opportunity. It's been extraordinary for me to have the questions coming from all angles, as it were, and uh, to try to navigate some very tricky theological, pastoral, etc. issues, which I suppose is the kind of thing that, having spent my life the way I have. I've only got myself to blame if if I then get questions like these. But it, it's been great, and it's been good to be yeah, in conversation yeah. as well, because you've contributed an enormous amount en route and steered me through various things and filled in where I'd left a, a blank and so on, which, is, which has been great fun to do that. So thank you. Well, thank you, Tom. Uh, and I, I should say that uh, we've seen questions come in from all over the world and um, really this is an international podcast and fear not listeners my moving on does not mean the end of the podcast you'll continue to be able to access further episodes of the show as we bring you some archive content in coming weeks and and do just watch this space for further developments but i thought today uh, as it's as it's my last time in the hot seat as a word tom um yeah as i said we might sort of but- talk a little bit about um the questions that i've got for you uh you have and i, I apologies if this uh to tend your cheeks red or your ears are burning but um you've been incredibly influential for me as well in my own sort of theological learning and 
understanding you were before we started this podcast but i'd say even more so in in the years that we've been doing it so i, I want to say a special thank you from me for all that you've you gifted uh, as well but um i suppose as we begin today's show um just looking back at your own lifetime of teaching pastoral care obviously in positions as as a priest and as a bishop and of course your scholarship what what do you hope will be the lasting legacy as it were of your ministry in the future it's a great question i hope the um the what what i will leave behind is uh, a love of scripture a sense that to love the god we know in jesus christ includes getting to know the full scripture from genesis to revelation obviously with certain focal points in my own work but other people have other focal points but for me more and more it's been a matter of not there's a verse here and a verse there but this wonderful whole yeah. composite book we call the bible has such a rich dynamic um people know people who know my work know that i often use musical illustrations but it is like a huge vast opera um, like yeah. like a, a massive wagner opera that goes on and on but which has a, a whole coherence it all means what it means in relation to uh, the other elements of it and that as we study it as we read it as we pray it as we preach it as we try to live it um it comes alive we come alive through it and it isn't that we have a relationship with the book we have a relationship through the book with the god of the book um the creator god the god of abraham the god of jesus uh, the god of of the future of the world and uh, it's that big picture which emerges, which brings us back to worship, which brings us back, hopefully, to faithfulness, which brings us back to proclamation and service to God in his world. And so uh, I, I, I hope people will um, be able to look at my work and say, ah, Tom Wright really helped me to understand the Bible. Uh, um, uh. I, I could ask for nothing more or less, really, than that. And obviously, because none of us are perfect, um, there must be mistakes in the system. If I knew where they were, I would hope to correct them. Um, so hopefully further generations will say, well, Wright got this bit wrong, but we're grateful to him for that bit. Fine, okay. But the point is, um, I, I want to give people that large sense of what the whole Bible is actually all about, um, within which there is always going to be masses of room for further exploration. You know, if I had another lifetime, there's all sorts of projects which I would like to devote uh, <laughs> 10 years here, 10 years there too. Um, I, I'm, I'm quite fast running out of 10-year um, um, time frames, but it's been great. That, that, that's really where the heart of it is. And to that extent, that, that's probably been the major way in which your writing and thought has shaped my thinking on the Bible, is to put it all together in a coherent way, to sketch out this big story that we continue to be part of so that we don't just, you know, take one bit here and one bit there and exactly. try to sketch together this kind of supposed gospel that that kind of can be contained within a few paragraphs but that actually it's it's about taking the sweep of it uh, you've very kindly written actually the foreword for um, a book that will be coming out later in the year the surprising oh, rebirth yes. of belief in god which is my my book um next book and and there is a chapter there on the bible as you know and and that has been very much influenced by yeah. by your own thinking in that area tom yeah. so so and thank I, you again. and i suppose within that if i might say um I think I, I would hope to have moved the conversation on beyond a kind of 
conservative versus liberal standoff right. that was commonplace when I was young. That is, conservatives just believe every word of the Bible and don't ask questions, thank you very much, whereas the liberals are trying to read everything in context and take it seriously as history or, or as myth or whatever. I want to say I've tried to take the Bible extremely seriously, historically, in all its literary aspects, in the different uh, styles and genres and so on, and particularly I've tried to read the New Testament within its first-century context. For me, the thing which has gone on being a stimulus and a, and, a, and a context setter is getting to know the world of first, the first century Jewish world within its Greek and Roman environment. Uh, I hope better and better. So I've, I've been delighted to be able to do that. And constantly I've then come back to the New Testament and said, ah, now we see what was actually going on there in a way which our traditions, our evangelical traditions, our general Christian or Anglican traditions, in my case, might not have prepared us for. And so I, I want to say, there's been so many new things which have happened through that study, which my own background as an Anglican, as an evangelical, had not prepared me for at all. And I would like to think that generations will look and say, uh, by studying the Bible properly in its context, historically, within an inch of our lives, as it were, um, <laughs> there will always be many, many more new things. So it's not a matter of saying the Bible, therefore, oh, we know what that teaches. We just have to shut up and go back to believing mm. the way we always did. Mm. No, I think God is moving on and the Bible will be there to help us with that movement. Well, it's no exaggeration to say that I, I think you have done that, Tom, of bridging those two what were, oh. you know, previously those those two categories of liberal and um, progressive versus conservative readings of scripture. And actually, you've been able to say to both camps, well, look, there's the, the, I just feel like your influence has kind of shaped both of those. And, and it's been very helpful, actually, in, in bringing well, a new picture, a kind of third way, if you like. Well, I hope to say, so. actually, I hope so. we Good. don't have Good. to have that kind Thank of you. Um, yeah, dichotomy. Um, now, over the years that we've chatted on this show, the thing I've often been challenged and inspired by is your own commitment to daily prayer and Bible reading and study, something that I and probably many people listening do struggle with, making it a regular part of our daily routine. Uh, firstly, why is it so important for you and therefore, I suppose, for others to make that a part of daily routine? And, and have you got any tips for helping us who struggle a bit more on that front? It It is going to be tricky for different people at different stages of life. I, I fully except that, you know, there was a time when all four of our children were under the age of 10, and there's no way in a household like that that you can have an unhurried hour of prayer and Bible study <laughs> before the day gets going. Or if you do, it's only by getting up so early that you yes. won't be exhausted by the end of the day <laughs> and probably be quite ratty over bath time or supper time or whatever. So it, it is a matter of navigation and negotiation at each stage of life. Um, for me, you know, if I ask why why is it important for me, I don't want to sound you know trivial or or over pious, but it's like asking why is it important to breathe. Um, you know, I I do not remember a time when I didn't read the Bible and pray more or less every day. Obviously, sometimes I've been sick or I've been traveling yeah. and the time has been wrong and and things have been difficult. But most days, you know, probably three hundred and sixty days out of three hundred and sixty five. Um, the 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 habit of of reading scripture, hopefully more than just one short passage, but at least one short passage, if uh. that's all that time and circumstances allow, and praying either more fully for larger issues, or again if it's a rush and I'm 
hopping from one plane to another, then taking some time to pray for immediate concerns for the family, for God's work in various spheres. These have been so much part of me that if I if I don't have the time or energy or whatever to do that, I go through the day feeling like you might if you hadn't brushed your teeth or something, you know, that there's something wrong where, where we haven't quite got this day on the road. And that goes back to very early on when, uh, to my great advantage, um, somebody from the Scripture Union came to my school when I was, I think, 12 and was giving out Scripture Union notes. It wasn't a particularly Christian school, but in those days there was an open door for that kind of thing. There probably wouldn't be now. Mm-hmm. Um, and this person just chatted a bit about it and gently suggested that you might like to use these notes, which would help you get going, reading a little bit of the Bible every day and be a little prayer to say, etc. And I uh, grabbed one of those notes and started with the Scripture Union method and used that through my teens. And that formed a habit. I was at boarding school and I got into the habit of getting up when the first bell went and uh, going and finding quarter of an hour in the house library um, where nobody else was around at seven o'clock in the morning. Um, and that just became my my regular routine. And uh, I think being creatures of habit, I mean, we're all creatures of habit to a lesser or greater mm, extent. Mm. Um, but I have liked the fact of having some routines at least which mark out the day, and especially in the morning. Um, although, of course, as well, in certain jobs that I've had, the reading of the Bible in the evening as part of evening prayer, that has been front and center in terms of choral evensong, say in a cathedral or in Westminster Abbey, where I worked for a short while. Um, so uh, bookending the day with Bible reading and prayer for me is absolutely yeah. just part of the way things are. Um, but if all else fails, whether or not I can get to an evensong somewhere, then morning prayer with a sustained um, habit of Bible reading, it's been absolutely mm. basic. Yeah. I, I have to say that I- when I do, you know, uh, semi-regularly manage to make make it part of my routine, the the companion has often been uh, in terms of the study notes for scripture, your own yeah. books, um, especially oh. the the for everyone series, which which I just find a really helpful way of getting into the text and behind the text, uh, as you say. And um, so so you you've been part of that journey as well on many well, an early morning. That, so, that's that's great. Um, Thank you. I mean. Uh, as as you know, that New Testament for Everyone series was not actually designed for, for, for clergy and for well-educated Christians. It was designed for um, the old lady in the back pew who would never normally pick up a biblical commentary. But I do know that a lot of clergy and a lot of uh, folk um, <laughs> at different stages have, have used them. And I'm, I'm just enormously grateful for the way that's happened. Well, um, I, I find it as useful as the elderly lady in the back pew myself, <laughs> that's for sure. Um, obviously... You, you speak for many Christians, you, people all over the world from many different Christian backgrounds have found your resources helpful, Tom. But you come from a specific tradition yourself, the Anglican Church. It's it's a church that has been in various convulsions over the last year or two. Um, and But I suppose without kind of necessarily touching on any of the most recent issues, what, what are your hopes and fears for your own denomination, uh, both at home and abroad, the Anglican Church? Yes, um, the Anglican Church worldwide is an extraordinary phenomenon. I haven't seen very much of it, but I have travelled a bit. And, I mean, it's now a cliché, but it's true to say that the average Anglican today is uh, probably a Nigerian woman um, Mm. uh, who doesn't speak English as her mother tongue. And 
Anglicans in Britain and Australia and America often forget that. Um, but actually, Anglicanism has been a kind of middle way as it has been from the beginning. Um, in, in countries where there are a lot of Roman Catholics and a lot of free churches, for instance, Pentecostals, in Latin America, for instance, the Anglican Church, often people discover it as a way of having the richness of the Catholic tradition, but without some of the things which Roman Catholicism has got into, which not everyone finds as helpful as they might be, or without the apparent, to the outsider anyway, craziness of some of the uh, wilder excesses of the Pentecostal movements. I, you know, I, a lot of good friends who are Roman Catholics and Pentecostals, <laughs> fine, I don't want to be rude about them, but I just know that in many parts of the world, the Anglican Church has been a way of holding things together. Uh, and uh, I, I see that as a vocation of Anglicanism, and I've had the joy of experiencing that myself. I remember one time when I was Dean of Litchfield, when we had a visiting choir, our regular choir was on holiday, and the visiting choir was from France, and it was from a, a Catholic cathedral in France, and they came with a priest who was, was their sort of guardian. And um, when I asked the priest if he and the choir wanted to receive communion, he looked very surprised and said, well, well, well of course, but perhaps perhaps only the bread, because the boys yeah. at least aren't used to receiving the, the, the wine. That was fine. Our preacher that day was our local Baptist minister. And yeah. I had the joy of giving communion to the Catholic priest and the Baptist minister side by side. I remember <laughs> thinking, I think this is what Anglicanism is supposed to yes. be doing. And so I have a sense that, yes, that's the ministry we have. Um, and, and as a result, the Anglican Church is a kind of ecumenical movement in miniature in itself, with all the difficulties that that implies, with all the mm -hmm. misunderstandings and people who've uh, grown up in one Anglican tradition and have heard that there are some other Anglicans who do some things differently, but rather wish they weren't. Um, and, and sometimes they get together and that can be very awkward. So we need to cultivate, as Archbishop Justin has emphasized, the art of having good conversations and good disagreements. Now, I would say, and I've, I've been known for banging on about this at length, um, good disagreement doesn't mean that there are no truths to be argued for. Uh, good disagreement uh, doesn't mean that everyone's opinion is as valid as everyone else's. That would be a, a recipe for complete anarchy. So good disagreement must involve the art of actual serious, wise, friendly argument. In other words, here is where we start. These are the issues. Here are the details. Let's think and pray together about them and see if we can find ways that we can agree on. And so it isn't just, oh, well, let's have a good disagreement, end of conversation. It's how do we move through that? Um, because the great art, and this is a, a, a bit of a cliche for me now, but it's so important, is understanding the difference between the differences that make a difference and the differences that don't make a difference. Yeah, We all know, or should know, that there are some differences which really shouldn't make a difference. If one church reads the NIV in public worship and another the NRSV, we shouldn't divide the church over that. We might yeah. argue about passages, we shouldn't divide the church. But if one church says, we're going to give up reading the New Testament, maybe for, for, for Lent or for the summer, and we're going to read the Quran instead in our public worship, then, sorry guys, this is a difference that makes a major sure. difference. We cannot simply say, let's be tolerant of these differences. Now, that's a silly example because I don't know that anyone's actually proposing to do that. But it makes the point that we have to discern between the differences that really do make a difference and those that don't. Here's a tip. The first letter to the Corinthians is a very good guide in that. 
There are some things which Paul says we must tolerate difference and respect one another. And there are other things where he says, no, this is how people who are in Christ behave. And if you think otherwise, then that needs to be sorted out. So discerning the difference between those two things. So that's my hope and prayer for the Anglican Communion as a whole, and also obviously for the Church of England. It's not an easy time. I've not been uh, near the centre of Anglican um, politics, if you like, thank the Lord, for the last 10 years. But I've watched it from a distance, and I pray for the leaders, and I hope to see wise yeah. things coming through yeah. in the days to come. Yeah, yeah. obviously turbulence at present, but I'm, I know that you're praying, Tom, for, for, for that denomination, which, yeah. as you say, has been such a shelter for, for so many yeah. and, and, and a vehicle of God's blessing in so many parts yeah. of the world. If you could go back to your younger self, Tom, this is one of those classic interviewer <laughs> questions, I'm afraid. If you could go back to your younger self, first starting out in ministry, uh, and offer some advice, what what might it be? <laughs> yeah, I, I was thinking about this since you emailed me, because in, in all sorts of ways, I think, despite myself perhaps, I have been guided, nudged through prayer, through the Holy Spirit, through wise friends saying this way, not that way. I, I have found a way through all sorts of issues which I couldn't have foreseen. And I think if somebody had told me when I was very young, um, you need sooner or later to be doing X and Y and Z, I, I would have been rather horrified yeah, by that. I've yeah. had to find my own way through issues. Yeah. At the same time, uh, obviously, I would want to, to strengthen the resolve to, to read Scripture. I think I would have wanted... Uh, actually to have learned Hebrew and Aramaic a bit more thoroughly a bit earlier than I did. Uh, my Hebrew is not bad, but I wish it was even better. Um, and uh, the Aramaic is always going to be tricky because there's not very much of it, but, but you know, it's, it's, like, it's like Hebrew with a very odd accent, if you like. It's like the sort of English you might hear if you went to certain parts of Glasgow. Um, it's sort of, it's, it's reminiscent, but it's a bit, so I wish I'd, I'd learned that more. I wish I'd kept up my Syriac, which is like Aramaic, but in a different script, because that is really important within the early church. Um, I, I think I would want to encourage my earlier self to keep up a bit more with the second and third century fathers. Um, as a New Testament scholar, there's so much going on in the primary text in the New Testament and in the secondary literature around it. It's easy to ignore people like Irenaeus and Tertullian and Cyprian, and then on to the great people in, in the third and fourth centuries, um, they are part of that tradition as well, and us New Testament scholars can easily overlook the continuity as well as being aware of the discontinuities. Whether I would have had time to do that over the last 45 years, I'm actually not sure. Um, I think as well, um, to be aware of the need, this always reminds me of Paul writing to Philemon when he <laughs> says, perhaps this is why Onesimus was allowed mm. to uh, come to me, so that you might then have him back forever. That, that, that everything we say should come with an implicit perhaps. It's very easy, and I still find it today, when I get excited about something and I've just seen in the text that, as far as I know, nobody else has seen, and I go off to the commentaries and I want to write an article about it, it's very easy to give the impression that this is now the absolute fixed position. And I know perfectly well that in three, four, five years, or maybe sooner, I will come back and say, yes, well, maybe, perhaps, uh, but we need to think about how that fits with everything else. You know, um, Karl Barth, in one of his prefaces in one of the volumes of Church Dogmatics, looks back at his earlier works and quotes Shakespeare and says, well-roared lion, 
um, which is, of course, heavily <laughs> ironic. And I think as I look back to my earlier work, um, there's a bit of well-roared lion. Yeah, you, you needed to say that. You might have done so with a bit more reticence, um, but maybe that's just a personality thing. So I, I'm just kind of walking around the issue at the yeah, moment, yeah, but there is yeah. a sense of intellectual humility, and it's it's difficult to grasp something firmly and be excited by it, and at the same time think this is only a provisional conclusion and it will have to um, make yeah. its way along with lots of other things. And so one, I think if somebody had told me that's a circle that you need to be going around, um, grab the things that you're seeing, enjoy them, celebrate them, don't imagine that this is going to be a fixed point forever. It may be one of several fixed points as you gradually mature and see more things, but there it is. And I think if somebody had told me that there are some temperaments which naturally gravitate towards, say, Paul or, say, John, but those might be quite different and that there are lots of people who are completely sold on Paul who really don't get John at all and vice versa, and that this may have to do as much with what we now think of in terms of whether it's personality types or whatever as anything else, then that too would help us with the humility of recognizing that somebody from a very different tradition may actually have very deep access to the love yeah. of God in Jesus and in Scripture in ways from which I need to learn. And I think I've, I remember certain moments in my comparatively early life when I saw that close up and simply had no idea what was going on, when people who seemed to me to be totally different types of Christians, if they were Christian at all, when I got to know them, discovered a depth of devotion and yeah. service and loyalty to Jesus, which put me to shame. I, I wasn't kind of ready for that. So I think it's it's humility within the tradition and humility also in terms of whatever we're discovering yeah. in our own studies yeah. of Scripture. Um, now, maybe this is the kind of thing that somebody in their mid-70s would now say <laughs> to somebody in their mid-20s, but uh, none the worse for that. Yes, I think I think so many people, that is a great lesson, intellectual humility, because we do live in this age of, of platforms and sound bites and everyone sure. having to sort of declare that they are, you know, the authority on this, that and the other. Yeah, and and yeah. I think we do we do need a bit more of that. Um, and just as we start to close out, Tom, as it were, as you sort of pass the baton on, you know, in some sense, as yeah. through all this writing and uh, broadcasting and the courses that you've created to other leaders, to theologians, to pastors, evangelists, um, what what would your advice be to them as they sort of go forward and uh, you know along the same sort of path that you yeah. have sort of started to, yeah. to beat for them ahead of them yes so so much of it has to do with the combination of natural gifting and particular vocation and you know as i look back over 50 plus years of of ministry now um i i can say without boasting that i was given early on uh, a gift of speech, if you like, a gift of words. Yeah. Um, but my mother, when she was um, not far off going to her rest, um, she looked at a, a, a shelf full of my books um, beside her bed in her nursing home, and she so shook her head and said, I always did say you had too much to say for yourself. Well, perhaps there was some <laughs> point to it. Um, so it's where said, Thanks, Mum. That's a great compliment. I'm quite happy about that. But I think from an early age, and no doubt I was a real pain in, uh, in the this or that, um, to my family and friends early on, I seem to have had the ability 
to speak and to write um, quite quite quickly and easily. I know some of my best friends who are great scholars find writing incredibly difficult and are happy if they've written two pages in a day, whereas I've been able to sit down at the keyboard and write uh, a lot um, quite quickly, and that shows in the publications. That's a risk, um, uh, but it's also been a gift. And and I don't claim any credit for that. It's like, you know, I have a double-jointed left thumb. There's no credit for that. That's what I was born with. That's just how it is. And I think words, for me, have had that sort of feel. At the same time, um, there are particular vocations. I was conscious from my student days of a vocation to get stuck into academic biblical studies and try to uh, lead the field in different directions instead of doing what conservative scholars always used to do, which was looking to see what the liberals were saying and then trying to refute it, which was always so negative. Uh, it just seemed as, as deeply unattractive instead of saying, there's so much more in this book. Let's get out there and make the running and let the liberals do the catch-up. But that, that's that been my particular vocation. It isn't everybody's vocation. Yeah. And there are many, many people who have quite different vocations. One of my best friends is is a well-known evangelist, and I'm still sneakily quite jealous of him. I've never <laughs> had the vocation to be an evangelist, to be somebody who stands up and makes the case to unbelievers and uh, tries to persuade them to put their trust in Jesus. I've done that on many occasions, but I've never felt that's my natural habitat. I'm a teacher as yeah. opposed to an evangelist. And if somebody's called to be an evangelist, then don't copy me and try to become a teacher. Go and be the best evangelist you can. And there are many other ministries. Um, so just as I look back to the people who are role models for me, people like John Stott and Jim Packer, and I thank God for them. They carved yeah. out a way of being biblically faithful, highly intelligent Christians in a world where people were doubting in the 50s and 60s whether it was possible to be biblical, biblically faithful and highly intelligent. They created space for my generation. Now, it may be that I, I, mean, I would still disagree strongly with a lot of things that Stott and Packer said, and I've had that conversation with both of them happily before they died. I'm very happy to, to go around the loop with them. It may well be that other people will be able to inhabit space that I and others have opened up. Let's hope so. And so don't imagine that just doing it the way Tom Wright did is the natural way. There must be many, many thousands of other ways, individual vocations in which natural gifting and specific calling come together to make this unique thing that is a servant of Christ. Because one of the great things, I mean, it's a, again, it's a cliche, is that actually evil is very boring. Evil is repetitive. The same stuff happens again and again. And Oh, my goodness, how tedious is that? But goodness and following Jesus results in many, many new things, many different pathways and patterns, many different personalities shaped by their engagement with Jesus and with the gospel. And, and I long to see in a new generation many new things coming out, people doing things differently. All the work that's going on at the moment in Christianity and the arts, uh, it's wonderful. I look on from a distance, not being intimately involved with that, and I thank God for what's happened there and for the way in which people have taken my work, for instance, in Surprised by Hope, and said, that gives me a legitimate platform on which to stand as an artist or a musician. That's been really exciting for me. And so I would say, don't imagine that you just imitate Tom Wright. Please don't do that. Imitate Jesus and be yourself. And that is the way that we will then see Jesus in you.
Well, I know there's lots more to come from you, Tom. You, I know you're always busy, you know, with the latest book project. Um, you've got the online courses, of course, from um, NT Write Online continue. And uh, we look forward to, to more episodes of this show um, as as it continues. I, this is my last time as, as, you know, in the hot seat, though. So I just want to say again, a thank you for all that you've put into this uh, during the course that I've been hosting it and and the influence you've had on my own life. Um, and I wondered whether, as, as we conclude, whether you might pray um, for, sure. for anyone listening who who is kind of at a transition moment in their life and thinking about how God may be using them in the future as well. Indeed. Uh, and, and just pray for the listeners of, of this podcast yeah. that we've obviously been Indeed, uh, privileged to, to to speak to you over the yeah, last well, several well, years. Thank thank you, Justin, and thank you for setting this up and for the, the 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 very apparently easy, but I know it's actually quite a quite a skill. The way in which you've steered it over over these years, I'm astonished if it is actually five years or more. That's, uh, is, I wouldn't yeah. have wouldn't have realised it was that long. And, and sorry that I haven't been able to play the guitar a bit more latterly as well as we did <laughs> as we did at the beginning. I fairly soon ran out of repertoire, never mind voice. <laughs> <laughs> but um, that, but that that was good too. But it okay, let, let me let me just pray for all the people who are listening and for wherever this is going. Gracious Father, thank you for this podcast. Thank you for Justin and his leadership of it and his steering and guiding of it. Thank you for all the people who have written in and thank you for all the people who have listened and written to me as well. And thank you for the many people who say that it has helped them. And Father, I pray for any who are listening now who are thinking, well, yes, but I've still got this that's bothering me or still not sure what I'm supposed to be doing about that. I pray for the guiding of your spirit. Father, you've guided me, you've guided Justin, you've guided so many of your people into different pathways, into things that we wouldn't have imagined. Uh, Years ago, podcasts didn't exist and you've done whole new things. Whatever you're going to do that's quite new and unexpected in the next generation, I pray that you will call men and women to your service to give themselves to the task, the task of teaching and learning and making the gospel accessible and comprehensible and and making the wisdom of the gospel to infuse our society worldwide in all the different cultures around the world. We ask, Father, that you will glorify your name in the ongoing lives of those who listen, of those who will be thinking about things and praying for the way forward, and for all the work, all the writing, all the courses and for the ongoing work of Premier and of this podcast. We pray your blessing, your love, your spirit to be at work. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you so much, Tom. God bless you. Thank you very much. Well, as I said, fear not, the show will be continuing in new hands, but I just want to say thank you to Tom and everyone who's had a hand in making it possible over the past few years that I've been hosting the show. Special thanks to Phil Maltz, who edits the podcast of the show and the videos too, and who makes the show look so brilliant. And to Peter Byram, who's assembled so many of the questions over the past couple of years, and all of the team at Premier Unbelievable. Thanks to you too for listening and for all the questions that have been submitted over the last few years. For now, God bless and goodbye.